Praise God. We're going to get into the word of God. I, I have a lot I could say, but I just want to share this word today. And thank you, team, beautiful team that has prepared this atmosphere. I'm going to be reading uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 through 17. And it feels good to be able to preach in one language this morning. Because we're a bilingual church in Brooklyn. Y yo predico en español y en inglés. Y puedo estar predicando en español y de repente I jump to English y mi traductor brinca conmigo. So uh, it's, it stops me a little bit, but uh, I got used to it. Uh, but uh, it's a little bit more freeing to just be able to go one language. The word of God reads like this, and I'm just going to be reading uh, verse 10 through 17 on the life of a man named Jacob. And it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of his stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth which, with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. L look at that, that's powerful. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants a land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And I want to speak something this morning that is titled, Positioned for Breakthrough. Positioned for Breakthrough. Father, just anoint this remaining time, God. We've had a beautiful time just worshiping you, Lord, giving you our burdens, God. And I, now I ask you that this word may come into every heart at every level, Lord, at every step of the journey we were each on. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say amen. When I look at the life of, jo of Jacob, Jacob, as many may understand or not, was a man that was chosen by God. But yet Jacob was also a broken man. And his weaknesses weren't as obvious or as scandalous as others, but yet he was a broken man. Now, Jacob wasn't your typical homeless man or in an alley or sticking a needle in his arm somewhere, but he was a broken man. And in 50 years, 50-some years that I've been living on this earth, 33 years serving the Lord, 26 years pastoring, I've learned that there is no real such thing as a functional family. We speak a lot about 
dysfunctional families, but I have yet to find a functional family. I have learned that all of us, whether we're serving God or not, all of us carry some type of pain in our lives. Some of the pain is obvious. Some of it is not. But you look at a family and you will always find that deep down inside, there's some type of pain that we carry in our lives. See, a lot of times you see this dysfunction in that we're doing a lot of things that normal people do. We go to the mall together. We have dinner together. We get together on our holidays. But always there is some underlying pain that is carried in our lives. See, brokenness is not always obvious. It's not always scandalous. This was a man that to the eye of the natural beholder was a normal man. He wasn't out there. He wasn't, he wasn't in an alley. He wasn't homeless somewhere. But Jacob was a broken man. He era un hombre quebrado por dentro. He was broken, called but broken. He was born in a struggle. We see that he, since he was in his mother's womb, he was born in a struggle, and struggle defined a good part of his life. See, when you study the name of Jacob, it means deceiver. See, his life was full of issues. It was full of lies. It was full of deception. Another, uh, another name or another word that describes the name of Jacob was not only deceiver, but trickster. In Spanish, you, you use that word, and we say, es un mañoso. Uh, he's a trickster. It sounds ugly, that word. But he's a, he's a trickster. Es un mañoso. When, when we're lost, when we're out there, when we're trying to hustle through life, and we start doing tricks. Hello, is somebody... Being real here with me this morning. You know, he tricked his father. He tricked his brother. He tricked his uncle. He was a trickster. Another name is supplanter. Because he, he stole the blessing from his brother. Supplanter is somebody who seizes, who, who takes a position by, uh, 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 of power illegally, morally, or by force. Another name for Jacob, when you study what, what Jacob's name meant, was schemer. Uh, he was a schemer. He, he schemed to attain the Lord's blessing instead of trusting and depending on God. See, that's who Jacob was. And sometimes we come to church and we, we learn that, you know, the, the smile is there, that, you know, the, how, how are you? I'm okay. How, how is everything? I'm good, I'm good, but a lot of us are in church, but we're broken. See, we're broken through things that aren't so obvious. And when you look at Jacob, he wasn't necessarily an evil person, but he was just a person that wanted a good life. I think all of us here want a good life, but he wanted to achieve it and obtain it in his own way. See, he wanted to achieve the good life in his own way. And that was the life of this guy, Jacob. That was how he was living life when we find him here. But all of a sudden, something happened. See, something happened in his life. 
And the Bible reads, as what we read there, that one day, as he was pursuing, as he was doing his own thing, Jacob encountered God at a place he named Bethel. See, he encountered God. And this place, Bethel, became an access point for true change in his life. Where it wasn't just knowing about the promises of God or being taught by his parents or his ancestors or, or seeing uh, 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 readings upon the walls of, of his homes, the way they would put readings of what God had done. But this place became a place where God broke through into his life and this was a moment where Jacob's world changed. See, his world changed. God revealed himself. He made himself known to Jacob in a very special way. And this is what is famously known as Jacob's ladder where it is symbolic of heaven and earth connecting where the stairway was a God at the top and there was angels coming and going. And in that place, it was no longer a theory. It was no longer a father's faith. It was no longer what he had learned. But in the middle of being a conniver, a trickster, in the middle, of everything he was going through God became real in this man's life he became real and I want you to know that when God enters the realm of your world his agenda is to establish you to his world and his purposes see it was July 9th of 1990 I was out there. I wasn't, I wasn't just your typical guy that just grew up lost. I mean, I was in high school. I was in the honor roll. I was, I was taking college prep courses. I am a veteran of the U.S. Army. And, and, and I began to mingle with something that was a curiosity in my life. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was a very timid woman. She didn't have the guts to confront my dad when he would beat us, when he would kick us, when he would make us bleed uh, through physical abuse. And I began to look for love. Even men look for love in the wrong places through drugs, through gangs, through acceptance outside of the family where you're not finding what your soul needs. But it was one day that I walked into the church of Victory Outreach in East L.A. Hello. It was the 9th of July. It was 1990, and I didn't know. I just knew that I was hurting, that I hadn't cried in a long time, and somebody took me to the altar, and right there, I had a Bethel moment where God became real in my life. God became known in my life, and although I had heard of him, Bethel was the point where real transformation began to take place. See, and when I look at this, the reason that I share this so much and the reason why I, I preach this, uh, this story of Jacob in, 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 in places where churches are growing or pioneering is that when you study the life of Jacob, this Bethel experience came to his life when he was 77 years old. 
Now in those days, they lived long. He lived to 147 years old. So 77 years old was a midlife for him. So imagine being in church. Every Sunday, there's people that are in church. And they connect with friends. They connect with family. They connect with a pastor. They connect with a leader. But you could be in a church for years and never connect to God. He knew about God. He knew who God was. He was surrounded with it. He was born into it. And a lot of times we're born into things. They talk to us about God. They tell us what God could do. But I believe that many times what is lacking in our lives and the reason why we struggle so much is because we have yet to have a Bethel experience where you encounter God in a personal, intimate and very real way. Give the Lord a hand if you believe it this morning. See, Bethel's an encounter. It's a time where, a, a time, a place where everything changes. Your name changes. Your self-image changes. Your mindset changes. Your attitude changes. It's where two worlds collide and where God's world suddenly becomes your world. That's Bethel right there. See, and I believe today God wants to provoke us and stir us where we are not just satisfied with saying, oh, I'm coming to church, but it's an expectation where you say, God, I don't want to just hear the word. I don't just want to hear a message, but I want to encounter you. I want to experience you. I want you to become real in every detail of my life. See, I want God to be real in my life. Because drugs were real in my life. Because brokenness was real in my life. Because violence was real in my life. And just as that was real to the point of traumatizing my life, now I could declare that God has become real. His healing power has become real. His touch on my life has become real. His delivering power has become real. It is real in my life. God is not a, a, something I've heard of, but God is real in my life because I've had those Bethel experiences. And I believe we'll always struggle until we understand this Bethel experience in your life. See, a lot of times we, don't, we come to church and we don't want people to see us broken or crying or, or hurting or know our life, but we need a Bethel encounter. It's okay to not be okay. I want you to know that it's okay to not, está bien, si no todo está bien. Está bien. I, I stand up on the pulpit. I've been preaching for 26 years and I've gone through seasons. I've gone through Sundays where I don't want to be up here. I've gone through seasons where I'm doubting what I'm preaching. Where the things that I'm preaching, I'm saying, God, I need to see this in my own life, in my own children, in my own family, in my own church. God, if you are the provider, then where is this provision? God, if you are faithful, then God, when are you going to show up in this area? And it's in those moments where we position ourselves that God all of a sudden shows up. And God says, listen, 
This is real now. Just as, as that pain was real, now the healing is going to be real. It's real. God is real. Entiende eso. Dios es real. Dios es verdadero. Dios, Dios se quiere revelar a tu vida. Dios quiere hacer algo en tu vida. Pero tiene que haber el hambre, tiene que haber la expectación, tiene que haber aquello en uno que dice Dios no solo quiero escuchar de ti, quiero encontrarme contigo, quiero una experiencia Betel en mi vida. I need an encounter, a Bethel encounter Lord. See I heard right now it said Victory Outreach Boston, a place where your purpose is lived out. See, Bethel is a place where you discover purpose. And it was Mark Twain who said, the most important two days in your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why. Why you were born, that's purpose. So when I look at Jacob, I ask myself and I say, Lord, revealing yourself, like, like when Jesus told, uh, told Peter, he said, uh, Peter, you're blessed because this was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, by, but by my Father who was, who's in heaven. In other words, an encounter with God is initiated by God. It's not something we could do on our own. But when I look at the life of Jacob, I see certain things that positioned him. For a breakthrough and that will position us. The first thing I would tell you this morning. As we position our lives for a Bethel encounter. For a breakthrough. Is that we do this number one. By digging more. Versus doing more. Digging more. Versus doing more. See when I grew up. My father would always compare me. He would compare me. To my brother who was doing good at that time. I was the black sheep. Yo era la oveja negra. And then my cousins came from Mexico. And they came to the United States only knowing Spanish. And all of a sudden they were, they were doing better than me. And my dad would say, why are you not like your cousins? Why are you not like your brother? Why are you not like your family, and what that did in me is that it put in my life a performance. I had to perform. I had to earn acceptance. I had to earn my father's love. I had to earn it. So my life began to be do, 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 do. And a lot of times we get saved and we come to church or we start coming to church and that shifts over to a performance-based faith. And everybody believes that growth is just by doing and doing and doing and doing. But sometimes we have to pause long enough to dig and to dig deeper and to understand that God is not necessarily found as you're just doing, moving forward, but God is found as you pause, as you take time, as you reflect, as you read the word, as you pray, as you meditate, and as you spend time with the Lord. That is where God reveals himself in very real ways. 
See, so when I look at Jacob, he, he had a curiosity in him. He was searching. He was on a quest. Estaba buscando. Tenía, tenía curiosidad. He, he was searching for something. He had a lot. He had a lot of things. But something was missing in his life. And he was searching and he was, he, he had a, 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 an appetite like he, he knew, he understood there was more. And a lot of times we could get caught up in school, we could get caught up in, in, in doing this and results and doing that. And, and even in church we could get caught up with going after the new strategy, going after uh, the, the new way of doing ministry, going after this, going after that. But sometimes God says, listen, I don't want you to do more, I want you to dig more. I want you to dig because when you dig... That's where you're going to find me. See, I learned that in the victory home. I got saved into the victory home. I was a drug addict. When I got rescued out of a car, I was living in a car. After coming out of the military, I lost it all to crack cocaine at that time. It was a new thing, crack. And, and I came out of the military with all of the honors of the military. And when I came out of the military, I, I started to mingle again with drugs because in the military, you can't use drugs because they test you. So I, I overcompensated with more alcohol. But then I came out and I began to all of a sudden start using crack, giving my life to all these things. And I came into the victory home. And in the victory home, that's where I learned how to pray. That's where I learned how to dig. See, and, and it doesn't matter where you're at in your faith this morning. Somewhere along the line, we need to start digging down. See, Genesis 26, 17 in the screen, it says that long before this time, Abraham had dug so many wells, but after he died, the Philistines, listen, the Philistines, that's the Gaza Strip today, and you didn't know that. The Philistines don't have a territory no more, but they were in the Gaza Strip where there's war. Uh, and it says that the Philistines, the enemy, the enemy came and listen to what he did. He stopped those wells. He filled them with sand. The Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit, he says, it's like rivers of flowing waters, of streams of waters. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy comes and he wants to stop those wells. He doesn't care if we're talented. He doesn't care if we're educated. He doesn't care if we come to church as long as the Holy Spirit is not moving and flowing through our lives. And he comes and he stops those wells. So the first thing that his father came and did is he said, listen, for my descendants, I need to redig those wells. That's what revival is. Revival is not anything new. Revival, the Bible says, is going back to the ancient pathways. 
It's going back. When the church was backsliding in the book of Revelation, the, the Lord didn't say start doing all these new things. He said, no, you're, you're lukewarm, you're cold, you're far from me, you're distant. Go back and do the things that you did at the beginning. When we would make altar calls, where we were so grateful, we were so joyful. Hello, is somebody receiving the word this morning? Where you were grateful about everything. Oh God, I just, I, you know, I, if church starts at 10, I don't want to be there at 10. I want to be there at 9.15 so that I could go to the altar, so that I could connect with believers. Some of us need to start digging there again. See, because that positions us for God to become real in our lives. Are you still here this morning? See, you look at the Bible, I was thinking of this. There's, a, there's a, a, a verse or a story in the Bible of a rich young ruler. And, and this rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he said, Teacher, he said, what do I need to do to go to heaven? What, what do I need to go to heaven? And, and he was checking off the Ten Commandments, the things that he didn't do. I, I don't kill, I don't steal, I don't do this. He had his little checklist. And he said, what is my need? What do I need? And Jesus looks at this rich young ruler who had riches. And he said, pretty much said, your greatest need is that you don't see your real need. See, this young man, he wanted a life coach, but he needed a savior. And a lot of Christianity today, a lot of what we're taught about God is we want life coaches. Our, a, a, a lot of sermons we hear, they're coming from the point of a life coach, a motivator. But we don't always need a life coach. We need a savior. We need to remember that without God, we're lost in spite of our achievements, in spite of our diplomas, in spite of what's hanging on our walls, in spite of the results we're giving. We don't need a life coach as much as we need a savior. Something breaks when you start digging down. That's where Jeremiah 33.3 said, Call out to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great things, hidden things of which you are unaware. Isn't that powerful? There's hidden things. There's hidden things of which we are un unaware. And God says, spend time with me. Call out to me. Búscame. Y yo te revelaré cosas de tu situación que, que no sabes. They're found when you dig. So you need to keep digging for miracles, for promises, for his word, because God is real. Quickly, we move forward. Are you still here? So we position ourselves by digging more than doing. Secondly, we position ourselves for a breakthrough moment. By choosing to see things spiritually first. See, we all have a natural default. 
See, I'm, I'm a melancholy. Personality, I'm a melancholy. There's choleric, sanguine, right, phlegmatic. I don't know if you study that, but I've studied all that. And I'm a melancholy. You know what that means? It, it, that left to myself, I'm negative before I'm positive. If I see a little baby that's near a stair or something, my wife will say, oh, leave him, leave him. He'll learn. He's not going to pass from that floor. <laughs> but you know what I see? I see that baby tumbling and rolling. You ever seen when a baby falls, they fall here and they end up over there? <laughs> they roll. You don't know how they got that momentum. Sideways, backwards, flip, and they up, end up over there and they're bleeding I, I see that. That's left to myself. That's my, that's my personality. And, and that robs me of faith a lot of times because when, when they say, oh, Pastor, let's do this. And I say, but this, that, this could go wrong. That could go wrong. But sometimes we have to train ourselves. And we have to look at things. You're going to see the natural because the natural is in front of you. But you have to train yourself to see things spiritually first. First. That God is in the details. That God is in this somewhere. That God, I was caught off guard, but nothing catches God off guard. I was surprised, but God's not surprised. I don't know what I'm going to do, but God already knows what he's going to do. Hello, are you excited? See, when you look at this story, the, the reality is that he sees heaven. He, he sees heaven. He sees angels. He sees all this. That's powerful. Imagine that, seeing a, a, a stairway, and then God is at the top saying, I'm going to do everything I promised to do. And you're like, praise God, hallelujah. And all of a sudden, you wake up. Ever been in a dream where you don't want to wake up? Come on, right? And you think, man, I, I had just scored big. You don't want to wake up, and you, you wish you could get back into that dream. There's nightmares that you, you pinch yourself to wake up. But there's things you don't want to wake up from. So this man is, is in glory. Imagine that. He's in glory. He's having a breakthrough moment. He's having a revelation moment. He's seeing angels up and down, up and down. The Lord is up at the top and he's telling, he's talking to him. And all of, all of a sudden he wakes up. And when he wakes up, He's not in a mansion. He's not in a nice house. He's not in a Starbucks. He's in the middle of a desert. He's in the middle of a desert. It's there. It's in the Bible. And you know what is our biggest obstacle sometimes? The natural. You're here. You get excited. 
Right? You say, God's going to do it. God's going to deliver my son. God's going to save my daughter. God's going to do this. God's going to give me a breakthrough at the job. God's going to get rid of that boss that, that is hostile to anything that has to do with, with serving God. God's, God's going to do it. And then, and then all of a sudden, you go home. You go to work tomorrow. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're full of faith. And boom, you wake up. Reality is there. And the question this morning is, do you see yourself as a man that's on fire for God, as a woman that loves God? Can you envision yourself serving God, sold out, giving it all, being that man, being that woman of God? You have to see it. You have to see it. And that's when I changed. That's when change began in my life where I said, listen, I'm not the perfect man, but I'm a man of God. I'm not the man that has it all together, but I'm in the process. I'm not the man who made it already, but I'm under construction. I am no longer what I was, but Jesus has come into my life and the Bible has declared that I am set free, that I am delivered, that I am a new creation and Jesus cry and I begin to walk on it I begin to believe it I begin to see it and 33 years later Gloria a Dios that's who I am see I'm not that borrachito no more drogadicto no more I'm not that person no more I remember going to court once I was, I, I, I was running from, I'm going to finish right now. I was running from a DUI. I had a warrant. And, and after being in church for a while, they told me, go to the judge. So I went to the judge. Part of my sentence was I had to go to AA classes. You know, and in AA classes, if you've ever been there, they, you know, uh, they tell you, the, your first declaration is, my name is Eddie Ramirez and I'm an alcoholic. And I remember going there years later. I was saved already. I was just facing a warrant that I had in my city. And I walk in there and then they tell me, you just need to declare this. And I go, I'm not going to declare that. <laughs> yes, well, you need to acknowledge that you're an alcoholic. No, I'm not an alcoholic. No, I'm not. I, I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. Yo era un borracho, pero Cristo me salvó. Yo era un drogadicto, pero Cristo me salvó. Because I saw myself in a new light. And that's important. The last thing I want to say, you know, because when you look at Jacob, in the middle of the desert, imagine this, in the middle of the desert, he says, En verdad el Señor está en este lugar y no lo sabía. Think about that. In the middle of a desert, he says, certainly God is in this place. And I didn't know it. And I want you to know that whatever you're going through today, God is in the details. You have to start declaring things that aren't as if they were. You have to stop praying the problem and start praying the outcome. You may think that doesn't work, but I'm telling you, I've been through some nasty battles. Nasty battles. 
And I've learned the power. Imagine that every time you pray, you're speaking life into your situation. And, and as long as, listen, and as long as, you know, a lot of times we hear the term and we say, well, all I could do is pray. And when you say all I can do is pray, it's like saying, well, you know, I'm helpless. You know, I guess the only thing that's left is prayer when in reality that's the first thing we should do. Prayer has revolutionized my life. Prayer. I mean, I tell myself every time I speak, every time I'm praying, I'm breathing life. And as long as, and as, long as I could pray, I am not helpless. The other day I was praying with my leaders. And we were praying on a Saturday morning. We were corporately praying. And I was standing broken in a corner just praying and the Lord Dropped something in my spirit and he said, prayer gives power to the powerless. And I got up before my leaders and I said, you know what? Prayer gives power to your powerlessness. Don't stop praying. Don't stop digging. Don't stop believing. When I was in the military, you know, in the military, they don't call you soldier until the day you graduate. You're not a soldier yet if you don't make boot camp. And out of about 90 men that started, maybe about 40 of us graduated. Some get sent home because they lose their mind. Others get sent home because they're, they become rebellious. Others get sent home because they can't, they can't hit a target with their weapon. And I'll never forget the day that my drill sergeant who had drilled me for two months straight walked into the graduating class and said, good morning, soldiers. Something shifts when you see yourself in a different light. And sometimes we just have to begin and look at our lives and say, you know what? I've been through so much brokenness, dysfunction. You know, my dad, my dad beat me so bad that I still have the trauma of that. In my natural man, I'm intimidated with men. Because the man who should have took care of me hurt me. So when you see me in a place like that, I'm not naturally speakative to people like that. It's not pride. It, 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 it's brokenness. And all of us carry brokenness. But it's those breakthrough moments that will set you free as you stand. The last thing that I would just tell you this morning in this spirit. Is that breakthrough moments happen when we finally surrender to the will of God for our lives. See I heard a preacher say this. He said, we don't have a sin problem. We have a surrender problem. We have a surrender problem. You know what was the problem with Jacob? He didn't surrender. But there came a moment. See, when I read this story, when you study the context of this story, 
I believe Jacob was running from himself. I, I believe Jacob was running from that old version of himself. He was searching. He said, listen, I don't know where I'm going, but I know where I don't want to be anymore. I don't know who I am to become, but I know I don't want to be who I was anymore. And he's running. And he's running and he's in the middle of a desert and he's running and he's running. And I came to the rehab two times. The first time I came into the rehab home, sister, the first time I came in, I was there for a month. And then I got my big Thompson Bible that they gave me. Back then they used those big Thompson Bibles. And I told the director, I'm ready. And the director said, don't leave. And I said, no, I'm ready. I've been here 30 days. He said, yeah, but you've had years of addiction. And I left. And I remember that night, that same night, I don't even know where that Bible ended up. I lost my Bible, and I had a beer in my hand. And I backslid seven times worse. And I remember being out there, being on drugs, being using everything, and all of a sudden... One day I was driving a car with a few friends. And I don't know how this happened. I, I still can't explain it. But the gas pedal, we were backing out from Avance where we had stole more liquor. Because we didn't buy it, we stole it. And we were backed out in the parking lot. And I just remember our car hitting, hitting another car. I mean, we backed out and it was... A heavy crash. And in that moment, I just remember like sobering up for a minute. And I just see a cop car happened to be driving, patrolling the shopping center. And he came immediately to me. And I just, I remember I was in sweats. I was dirty. I was homeless. I had left the home. And I just remember getting handcuffed. And it was a 30-minute drive from Camarillo to Ventura. I'm, I'm, my hood was Camarillo. I was, they were taking me to the county jail. And I just remember being in the backseat of that police car. And I remember part of me said, I'm going to do some time. But there was another part of me that was relieved because I, I remember just leaning my head and saying, it's, it's over. It's over. I'm surrendered. And sometimes, in my case, I had to be physically bound to become spiritually free again. I had to be physically bound. And it was in that jail where I finally got, the Lord got me sober in there. And he spoke to my heart and he said, I, I called you, I want you to go back. And when I got out of jail, I went back to that home. And that's been 34 years I'm going on. And I've never gone back. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the difference between the first time I went and the second time I went was surrender. It was surrender. And I want to take just a couple of minutes. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm like Jacob. I didn't know Jacob was so messed up. 
But I want Bethel in my life. I want an encounter. I want a shift. I want to be free from those things that bind me. From those things that are stubborn in my life. I want to declare to you today that Satan came to decorate your prison cell. But Jesus came to set you free from it.